0: All right, it's time for Ball with ESPN's Tom Luganbill, as always, presented by MyBookie.ag. Don't forget code next round when you sign up for that sign-up bonus up to $1,000 at MyBookie.ag. What is up, Lugs? How are you today?
1: What's up, man? I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: I am awesome. We have got some quarterbacks to talk about today. That's what we're going to cover on uh, this edition of Ball. We're going to talk some quarterbacks And uh, I guess we can start. we got a lot of battles going on. But right as we are recording this, one just cleared itself up. And I find it fascinating. I don't know that Arizona State's going to do much this year. But Jaden Rashada has been a guy that has created a lot of headlines. It's been a winding path to Arizona State. And he's been named the starter for Kenny Dillingham. Uh, This will be interesting to watch, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think this surprises some people because, you know, obviously Drew Pine comes over from Notre Dame. He's played a significant amount of football. But I also kind of see where Kenny Dillingham's going here with this. I, I think he looks at the bigger picture and, and he's saying, there's going to be some bumps in the road, right? There's going to be some potholes. But why wouldn't we go with the most talented guy and build around him? Because I do think Jaden Rashad is probably the most talented player on the roster at the position. Uh, we had him down in the Under Armour All-America game this last winter. Obviously, a lot to be said about the name, image, and likeness situation. He was a Miami verbal commitment, then a, then a Florida verbal commitment. Ends up at Arizona State, um, and to me, I, I kind of like the move. I I, I really do. I, I think that you just take the talent, and you say, okay, let's focus on his strengths and try and you know mask the weaknesses a little bit and let him come into his own. But he is very, very he. To be honest with you, Ryan, he's a lot like Jaden Daniels. Right, he's a lot like Jaden Daniels. They're very, very similar players.
0: So is this a little bit like when you were on with Dunaway? You were talking about the Alabama uh, situation. Uh, yesterday and and you basically said if it's a tie go with the most athletic guy I mean could that be the situation here you think between he and Drew Pine
1: yeah I think so I because you know I do think it allows you to force the defense to have to account for the quarterback's legs and when you do that you're playing 11 on 11 when you don't have to do that you're playing 11 on 10 so um, I do think that has something to do with it and I also believe that with young quarterbacks sometimes that are really good athletes part of the progression read is if you don't like it and it's not there run like don't force it if it's unclear it's okay to tuck it and make something happen just avoid negative plays I mean I think that's the the, the biggest thing with especially with younger quarterbacks but with the position in general is don't put us in third and nine you know don't throw the ball to the other team on our own 35 yard line I mean if and if that means telling the kid that hey this is going to be a half field read this is who you're identifying if it's not there. Take the front door.
0: You know, I don't know that Auburn fans particularly remember Kenny Dillingham favorably, but he did a good job at Oregon. Yeah. I, I don't know I don't know what to expect of him at Arizona State. I, I mean, I, I I try not to – the whole Gus Malzahn offensive coordinator dynamic was yeah. just kind of weird no matter who the coordinator was, except maybe Rhett Lashley. He and Rhett had come up together, and they kind of felt comfortable together. Yeah. But 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 I like what Dillingham did with Bo Nix at Oregon. I think this would be interesting to watch.
1: Well, if you're going to base what he did off of the previous three years of, of, of Bo Nix, you'd, you'd call him a magician. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, yeah. don't, I don't think anybody saw that accuracy. I don't think anybody saw that pocket awareness. Two things he did not have at Auburn. Now, he had talent. Right, right. He had physical attributes. Uh, but he was, a, he was a yo-yo quarterback, up and down, up and down. That's what I call him. And, and he was anything but. Um, at Oregon. So yes, I think there's some proof in the pudding. Obviously, they're, what they're doing is very quarterback friendly. Uh, there's a lot of Mike Norvell elements to it. We've seen what Mike Norvell has been able to do with the quarterbacks that that, that he's been tutoring. So I, the bigger question long term for Arizona State, um, is the university truly invested in being an elite, an elite football program? Because You know, in the old days, Arizona State was a top 10 program year in and year out. Frank Cush days, then Daryl Rogers, obviously John Cooper. And then it's really waned. And so I think as a university, they have to make a decision. Are we we going to invest? Are we going to give them the resources they need to compete against Oregon? Right? Or or to compete, what will be the new Big 12 for them? But uh, where do you want to be? Are you happy being an eight and four program? Maybe you have a weird year and you go 10 and two and... Then you're going to have a six and six. If that's okay, fine. But if that's not okay, I think the university has to invest far more.
0: You know, it's wild. Uh, Today on the next round, we had a stat, and I cannot remember where it came from, but it was over the last decade, top 25 wins, AP top 25 wins over the last decade. Not going to surprise you. Alabama was number one, the top five, the schools you would think would be there. Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, um, Yeah. Uh, you know, Columbia, the the schools that would you would think would be there, Arizona State and Texas were tied. It blew me away. Texas has had seventeen in a decade, seventeen top twenty five wins, and Arizona State had the same amount. It blew me away that those two were
1: tied. I had three of those. I had the SC game, the Wisconsin game with the kneel down thing that blew up in their face for Wisconsin, <laughs> and then I had the Michigan State game. I think it was Herm Edwards' first or second year, and yep. Michigan State's like fifteen. They beat them in Sun Devil Stadium, but the problem is. Is they're good enough sometimes to play with anybody on their schedule, and then they'll go lay an egg against somebody they're not supposed to. That's that's the it has been the issue uh, with Arizona State. But I think a lot of people look at the job as a good job. But I also think the the outlook of a good job has shifted so dramatically over the last ten years because it, it's not so much anymore about what you were; it's about whether you're keeping up to still be there you know, and whether you're investing in doing the things you have to do to be a, a great program.
0: While we're out there, let's talk Pac-12 quarterbacks, let's talk quarterbacks on ball with Tom Luganbill. <laughs> do not forget mybookie.ag code next round. That is mybookie.ag code next round for all the games in week zero and beyond in the NFL and all of that at mybookie.ag code next round. This is, it's so odd that the Pac-12 is falling apart because this could well be the best Pac-12 season we've seen in a very, very long time. Obviously, if you're going to talk quarterback out there, we've started with Jaden Rashada, but you really have to start with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams. Lincoln Riley does nothing but get top-level play out of quarterbacks. I, I, I don't know if you could put your finger on what it is, Lugs, that he does that frees his quarterbacks up so much to be who they are.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of it is a tried and true scheme. He is a tweaked version with a power run game of the air raid. And I think if you've looked over the course of the length of college football, at least since the late 80s, early 90s, going back to Iowa Wesleyan with, with Hal Mummy and, and, of course, Mike Leach and, you know, move on to Kentucky with Tim Couch. I mean, everybody that's played in the offense has succeeded. And I remember um, Lincoln Riley and, and Cliff Kingsbury. And this would have been within, I think the last 18 months to two years. And and they were really pushing the late, great Mike Leach to get an athlete, at quarterback. They're like, dude, you think this offense rolls on its own way? Do you get a guy that can create? And it's so true. I mean, it's, it's completely changed the nature of the offense. And, um, and it's, and sadly he signed a kid, Chris Parson in this last class, who is just that. And, um, and obviously not going to have a chance to coach him or see him in that scheme. And, and, uh, but I, I think he just, the, the run game, the misdirection, the RPO component to it, the athleticism of the quarterback, a lot of the stuff is half field read type of things, which, you know, does simplify things to some degree pre and post snap. Um, those are all things that do enhance the quarterback's ability. And listen, there's going to be a lot of guys that come out of that scheme that never materialize, right. They don't, they don't become an NFL guy this dude's different this dude's got mahomes type stuff and i know that's an over overly overly utilized comparison and i don't even like using it but when you see this guy in person man he's different he is an absolute difference maker and um and so as good as he is like the problem with this conference is all of the quarterbacks are so good and we're not even talking about washington state's cam ward we're not even talking about Arizona's Jade Delara, right? We've touched on Bo Nix, all right? Uh, the freshman, Jane Rashada at ASU, very talented. Caleb Williams, a reigning Heisman Trophy winner. But what about Michael Penix at Washington? If Cam Rising is healthy at Utah, they have the most complete roster, I think, in, in the Pac-12. So I have to ask the question of an SC or a Washington or an Oregon or a Utah, uh, as good as the quarterback play is. How how is anybody going to come out of that conference unscathed? Yeah, they're just going to be picking each other off.
0: Well, and and you know some of it, obviously, a lot of it is the coaching. I mentioned Lincoln Riley. Kalen DeBoer is not Lincoln Riley. He doesn't have that uh, reputation yet, but Caleb is a really good offensive coach, yeah. and that was a good offensive team last year. Michael Penix looked like was it freshman Michael Penix Indiana? Yeah, a freshman that he got hurt, and he it was it didn't look like he was going to be the same. But he's found that new life out there. They're a team starting in the top 10 in the Associated Press. I, I mean, it's not going to blow me away. I don't think Caleb Williams calls guys just don't win the Heisman back-to-back. I'm not picking Penix. Yeah. But if Penix is on that stage, I am not blown away.
1: Listen, um, confidence goes a long way at the position. And, you know, you, we all remember that game, Indiana-Penn State, him reaching for the pylon yep. right. And they beat Penn State, and they have a really, really good year under Tom Allen there. Then he gets hurt at the end of that year, I think. And I had them the following year. Ryan, I am not exaggerating when I tell you this quarterback mentally could not function. He was so torn up over not being the same, right? And you could tell he was trying to talk himself into confidence. And everything just went wrong for him on the field. I mean, it was really, really – it was sad to see. And – I'll be the first one to say after experiencing that I could not believe what Kalen DeBoer has done with him, but keep in mind he was the offensive coordinator of that Indiana team. Right. And so there's familiarity there. Again, confidence comes back into play. If you're truly 100% healthy, you're not worried about things that you shouldn't be worried about. And they got good players around him. Kalen DeBoer has done this everywhere. I mean, you look what he did with Jake Haner, one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL draft last year while he was at Fresno state. So, um, it's not all that surprising if you follow the lineage of both Michael Panix and Kaelin and DeBoer, what we're what we're seeing take take place. I think the thing that's going to be interesting and, and what some of these quarterbacks and many of these quarterbacks are going to be judged upon is all of these games in the Pac-12 are likely going to go to the last possession. And which one of the teams can has the quarterback that scores with the ball last? I, I think that, that's going to be because like, I look at SC, I see four or five losable games on it. I look at Utah. I see four or five of because the parity is just – it's right here. And it's such a shame what's happened over the last six weeks because we should be talking about – I talked about this with Rick Neuheisel. You go back and you look at the Pac-12 or the Pac-10. This is the best collection and group of quarterbacks they've probably had since 1988 where you had Aikman, Rodney Pete. You had a bunch like Paul Justin, I think, was at Arizona State. Um, I, I mean, there were uh, was Mark Brunel at Washington yet be yeah. before that. Yeah. yeah. So there was some great play anyway. Tim Rosenbaugh was at Washington State, if you remember that. <laughs> uh, and so I'm going way back there. But uh, it, it's not talking. Oh, you there? Now, by
0: we're good. We're back. We're back. Oh, go ahead. What happened? Yeah. Oh, I don't oh, know. Smokes. I don't know. You oh, know, right. a, a quick, almost a turnover, but they ruled it incomplete. Oh, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, Bo Nix, though, is a guy. I, I mean, there were times last year where he looked brilliant. There were times last year where maybe you saw a little bit of what worried you about him at Auburn. Yeah, I will say this: they are boldly going into pushing him for the Heisman. I mean, he's got you know. Signage on buildings and all kinds of things. Uh, it's 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 they're all in on on pushing yeah. Bo Nix to win the Heisman Trophy, which is what a lot of people thought he would be coming out of high school.
1: Sure, and and you know this is the first time he's going into a season where instead of everybody doubting him, everybody's promoting him. Yeah. Right? He's never yeah. had an offseason season of of positivity and adulation and pats on the back you know, it's always been, oh, everybody's down on me, and I got a little bit of a chip on the shoulder, and maybe your, your confidence has rocked a little bit. I, I I think he's so confident right now as a football player, and it's, I think he's really grown in, and this doesn't, I don't think this happens very often, but he's always had skill, right? We've always recognized that there's a lot of talent there. Sometimes people just grow into that talent at, at different rates, and for whatever reason, whether it's Maybe they they came along mentally at a a, a different pace and it wasn't quite on par with their physical tools. Maybe it's a combination of personnel or lack thereof or a combination of personnel and scheme. And last year, maybe it all just kind of the stars aligned. And to your point, when we were discussing Kenny Dillingham, now at Arizona State, we'll find out how big of a role he played. Yeah. Uh, because if there is a setback, if there is, you know, if they take, if they lose a couple of games or he has some turnovers or this and that, you know, how glaring will it be? But he's going into the season with confidence. And I think that's big.
0: ESPN's Tom Lugabill is with us. Not only is the show presented by mybookie.ag, code next round, don't forget to visit uh, lanceslock.com to get all your plays from Lance. He's been red hot in the NFL preseason with college football just around the corner. That's only going to improve. Lance's lock.com, Take those plays over to mybookie.ag and use code next round to get uh, up to a thousand dollars on that sign in bonus. mybookie.ag code next round. This is ball. He is ESPN's Tom Luganville. Let's come all the way back to the East coast. Let's talk Florida Gators because when I, I maybe it's just stereotypical of Graham Mertz maybe. And I know when he was recruited to Wisconsin, everybody all was saying this is a different type of Wisconsin quarterback. This is not Jim yeah. Sorgey. Or somebody like this. This is a. This is a. a, I used to throw back on you there. This is a more athletic Wisconsin quarterback, but still seeing a guy go from Wisconsin to Florida, it feels like a really weird fit.
1: So you're saying it's not Daryl Bevel? No, it's not Daryl Bevel or Jim. Holy smokes! Um. Yeah, you know, and, and you're right. That was the most highly touted quarterback Wisconsin had probably ever signed, and a lot of people, you know, many many people were very very surprised that they were in, ended up getting. him. he was recruited by everybody. Um, and for whatever reason, it just it, it hasn't materialized. Who's to say that he doesn't have a Nix type of year? Right? Yeah. He's a good athlete. New atmosphere, new environment, different scheme. Going to be a little bit more wide open. Not as you know traditional. Not as you know uh, 22 personnel or 21 personnel and, you know, everything's heavy play action and you're playing from under center. Maybe this is what he needs. I, uh, is it the long-term solution? Um, you know, obviously from an eligibility standpoint, it's not, I think they have to be better at the spot talent wise than both Jack Miller and him. And, and that's where DJ lagway uh, legway comes into play out of Texas. Who's their, their, their 2024, uh, commitment at quarterback, who's a very high-profile guy, and that might be kind of what starts the run for for Billy Napier. But I'm not so sure the problem is going to be so much the quarterback at Florida. The problem is going to be the schedule. I mean, that thing is absolutely brutal. And and let's here here's the other thing too about this, Ryan. And I we talked about this on the next round, and I could be totally proven wrong. And if I am, I will say. It. Florida just had a quarterback that completed 53% of his passes, all right? And outside of the Utah game was, at times, wildly marginal, right? For all of his athletic gifts, you're that talented. You complete 53% of your passes. So what happens if Graham Mertz goes out there and he completes 65? Yeah. What does that mean for the offense? Like, what? where are they more efficient? Are they having fewer three and outs? Are there, is their red zone touchdown percentage going to increase? Like, that's a, I think that's a seriously fair question. I mean, it, it really is. The, the the guy that just got taken as the top five overall pick, you know, it's it's not like he transformed that whole football team. Caleb Williams transformed SC. Right. Caleb right. Williams, that team's six and six without him, and without the plus twenty two turnover margin, they might be worse. Right. But there wasn't that type of impact from Anthony Richardson on on Florida, and you're one under Billy Napier. So, what if just from an efficiency standpoint, all right? I'm not obviously he's not Graham Ertz isn't Anthony Richardson's talent, but what if he ends up being a better answer?
0: Well, and you're right about that. And if you go back and look at their signature victory last year, it was Utah in that season opener in a game where. And look, I mean, Florida had a lot to do with this. I'm not trying to take it away from them, but yeah. Utah's in the, inside the 10 twice, and they get zero points out of that. Correct. And, and, I mean, you're fortunate to win a game when your opponent has eight downs inside the 10, and they don't yeah. get any points at all.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, too, because I know, I know Billy Napier takes a lot of heat, right? And the poor guy hasn't even been there, what, 18 months, for crying out <laughs> loud? I mean, <laughs> he's about, about to sign his second, two and a half recruiting classes. I mean, well, I, like I've always said to you guys, and I'm, I seriously mean this, you know, he didn't just start taking stupid pills, right? Like he didn't go from ASU and Alabama and Clemson and then do what he did at South uh, West Louisiana and just all of a sudden forget how to coach football. It's a totally different dynamic and you're probably not going to wave the magic wand and have it, have it happen overnight, even at Florida. I mean, when you think about Florida too, Ryan – they are just now catching up with the rest of their peers on a football operations facility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's very, there's very, very very few Power 5 legitimate high-level programs whose coaches' offices are still in the end zone of the stadium. <laughs> 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 right?
0: <laughs> That's a great point. And it's amazing. I mean, that, like, I remember Florida, they used the – I mean, the, I know this sounds – what I'm about to say just sounds insane – And I've seen it's true at USC, but when you go, you've done this, you go around some of these major programs like Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia, Florida State or Florida used to, they they used to have to go out of building and walk across the street and stop traffic to get to the practice field. And they may still do. And like, they'd have to do that to get to the
1: indoor facility.
0: Yeah. and and, and,
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's just, (laughs) just like, and I know that sounds like a small thing. Yeah. But other schools, it's it's a it's a facility. I mean, it is it's a fortress that your football team. Once the player enters the front door of the building, he doesn't see anybody that's not associated right. with that football program until he leaves the building again.
1: Right, and he walks out onto the field when yep. they go to practice. Right, yep. and yep. you know everything, and it's all it's all based on efficiency and how do we maximize our time and. And, and, you know, all, all of those things, I mean, that LSU, what they did with their with their football operations facility, because they are so far removed from like campus, they set it up so that if the kids need to have a nap or get some rest, that they have their own little private areas in their locker room. All right. To maximize efficiency. So they're not walking back across to their dorm or their apartment and having to come back later. And it, it puts them in a position to want to stay in the building. That means, guess what? You're likely going to go into the coach's office to watch more tape and you're likely going to be in the training room to be getting more treatment. And it all ends up building to one goal, and that is being the best athlete you can be.
0: All right, let's go to Penn State. Drew Aller is taking over. We saw him summon mop up against Auburn, and I remember watching the CBS telecast when he came in, and and the announcers were talking about this is the future of Penn State football. This is the guy everybody wanted to see. Um, the guy he's replacing won a bunch of games, yeah. did a lot of things right. I, nobody's going to call him an elite quarterback, but they feel like I think Drew Aller can be that. That's something I, – I, I mean, I want to see – Who's the most elite quarterback James Franklin's ever coached? Wow. I don't, the, I don't know the answer to that because that's one thing I'll say about James Franklin. It always seems like he's fighting average offense. It seems like that is, that's the thing that gets him is that offense can get mired down really bad under him. Yeah. I don't even know who the best quarterback he's coached
1: is as a head coach. Might have been a couple of the guys that played, he played for Maryland that oh uh, one or yeah. two of them played in the NFL. Um But no, no, you're right. And and to be honest with you, when when you look at Drew Aller, you're you're like, this is their care, this is their Kerry Collins. Yeah. That's yeah, I mean, he's a big, he's a much better athlete than Kerry was, but he's he's big, looks great on the hoof, can make all of the throws. But I think you said something that's really, really important. And I know how excited they are about him. And, And quite honestly, when you look at all of the pieces of the puzzle this year for Penn State, there are not going to be many excuses. The schedule plays in their favor. They're going to have the best defense they've had in his tenure there. And they have not one, but two elite level running backs, two potentially elite level tight ends and a slew of, of depth at wide out. And so I, we can't, you, it was important what you said. Um, the, the quarterback that just left there won a lot of games was highly efficient, did not make mistakes. Um, I still believe that he, that he didn't get hurt on the road versus Iowa when they were up like 17-3 to three or whatever. They would have yeah, hammered yeah. Iowa, and their season's entirely different. So I look at that, and, and I don't think you can you – can, you have to be able to accept that it's probably not realistic to expect Drew Aller to just make all the right decisions, right? He's going to make mistakes. He's young. He hasn't played. There's a lot of things he hasn't seen. Sean Clifford had spent six years in college football, And there's probably nothing that he hadn't seen by the time he played his last two years. So there for, for all the good plays and the big throws downfield and some of the plays he'll make on the move, he's going to throw it to the other team a couple of times, right? Or he's going to botch a snap, or he's going to take that unnecessary snap uh, sack on second and four, or if he just throws it away, you're fine. But instead now you're third and 10, right? That's going to happen. And, and so, If they work through that and the run game is as good as I think it's going to be and the defense is as good as I think it's going to be, I don't believe this guy is going to have to, like, grow up overnight. I think he'll be able to have a slow burn to what could end up being an elite career for him there because all of the physical attributes are there.
0: Yeah, obviously they get Ohio State and Michigan. They start the season against West Virginia, and this is a pretty bad mismatch on paper at least, I think. You know, Penn State's almost a three touchdown favorite in that NBC primetime game. But week one isn't this incredible week of football. I mean, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to right. find the good games in week one on that schedule. So I am interested in them starting on that big national stage like that. An NBC primetime game, his first, you know, big time start there. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how he handles that against an obviously inferior team in West Virginia, but how does he handle all of that?
1: Well, you're right. And I think that is the advantage that they have. He's going to have better personnel personnel than they have. And if you could keep that mindset that because he's got better personnel, he doesn't have to play above himself, right? Doesn't have to force it. Um, always keeping that in the back of your mind at the position that it's, it's my job to get us out of a bad play into the good play. And you know what? Whether I throw the ball 45 yards downfield on a streak route and he runs another 20, all right? So now we got a 65-yard touchdown. Or I throw the slant to our best athlete who's five yards in front of me and he runs for 80. The number is the same. Right. So sometimes those little gimmies turn into big, big, big plays. And if you can play within yourself in that line of thinking and work through prog- progressions, and I think it's always important with young quarterbacks, you, you, you tell them, check downs, get first downs. I know you want to throw that post. and I know you want to get that big that, that big explosive play. Sometimes when it's not there, you dip it into the hands of a Josh Jacobs, and he takes it five yards from the line of scrimmage and runs 60. Nothing wrong with that.
0: No. ESPN's Tom Luganbill with us on ball, and it is presented each week by mybookie.ag. Code Next Round gets you that sign-on bonus up to $1,000, mybookie.ag. Before you go there, stop at Lance'sLike.com and get all the big plays. Every single night, great packages available for uh, football season. He's been killing it in the NFL preseason. If you can win preseason games, Imagine the games when everybody's playing, and you know who's playing. com. Take those plays to mybookie.ag and cash in. $1,000 sign-on bonus when you sign up with code next round at mybookie.ag. Let's talk Drake May now. The uh, North Carolina quarterback, he, he did not finish the year great. If you go look at the last half of his season, the numbers, they fell off a little bit. And he's one of those guys, Luka Bell, they got to be better on defense. I love me some Gene yeah. Chizik, but that was a horrid defense last year. So you feel like they got to get a little bit better, but I wonder how much that pressure of him, basically he couldn't miss a possession last year. There were a lot of games like that App State game where every wow. single possession was critical for them.
1: There's there's no question about it. And I, you know, <laughs> I texted Chip Lindsey, their new offensive coordinator who got the job. I said, well, you just inherited a top five pick. Don't screw it <laughs> yeah, up. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> what a job to take. Holy smokes. Yeah. Um, Here's what happened late in the season, and this was what was just so, you know, and I, and I had said with with Jim earlier in the week that when we we're talking about SC, when 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 you're plus 22 in turnover yeah. margin, that's a statistical anomaly. You should have seen North Carolina's numbers on third down and their red zone touchdown percentage for like the first nine weeks of the season. They were numbers that you couldn't just, you, you couldn't imagine you'd be able to achieve, achieve these numbers. And then for whatever reason, it stopped. And then that defense you're talking about became even more glaring, right? Because now they're on the field more. And you know, as bad as they were on defense, that the offense was always on the field, right? Yeah. And so and they were still bad. But when that flipped, it was tough. I I still th- one of the things that I think frustrated Gene Chizik last year was that they'd coach a guy on where to be What's the run fit? What's the technique? And then when they'd go out on game day, nobody would do it, right? And and he wasn't laying blame on anybody. He, he was saying, you know, at times it will look like we're just not flat out good enough. Well, maybe at some spots we aren't. But for the most part, when you watch us, we're doing it wrong. Right? We're not doing what we're coached to do. And then you're trying to constantly fix it and reiterate it. And I think there were times later in the season it got a little bit better. Um, they did become a better tackling football team later. That first few weeks, especially that uh, that App State game, I and mean, they couldn't tackle anybody, you know. And and so the quarterback gives them a chance to be really, 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 really good because they return eight starters around him on offense. I mean, th- that offense should be just outstanding. So they're going to be in every game that they're in because they can they can get into a track meet and they can, they can probably win one-possession games or always put themselves into a one-possession game, and that's why I think they'll be pretty good.
0: And we'll talk about Kate Klubnick in a second, but as we talk about quarterbacks with Drake May, with Jordan Travis at Florida State, it's important to remember in the ACC the divisions are gone. Yeah, so all of a sudden, if Clemson or Florida State appears on your regular season schedule, it may not be quite as do or die. There is a chance if you could play the cards right. And look, it's an uphill climb for North Carolina. I know that. but if you if the cards if, if the chips fall right, you'll get a second crack yep. at a Clemson or a Florida State for the conference championship.
1: And you're forgetting another one too, as long as we're talking about quarterbacks, Brennan Armstrong at NC State, out of the transfer portal, out of Virginia. If you remember those two seasons he had at Virginia in 2020 and 2021 where he was literally the most efficient passer in college football, well his offensive coordinator was Robert Anai who left to go to Syracuse. Now he's NC State's offensive coordinator. I think NC State's going to be really good on defense and if Brennan Armstrong looks 75% of what he looked like in 2021, they could end up being really, really good on offense as well. So that's another team in the mix. We talk about strong quarterback play: Drake May, Jordan uh, Travis, um, Brennan Armstrong. I think I think there's a bunch of guys. You, which Tyler Van Dyke will we see at Miami? And then of course uh, the first full time look that we're going to see from Cade Clublet.
0: So uh, real quick on Armstrong because I do remember under Bronco Mendenhall, he he had that a couple, like you said, a couple of really good seasons. Yeah, is that. If going from Devin Leary to him, because I think Kentucky's a little undervalued. I don't know that people realize Devin Leary is going, I think, gonna be better than Will Levis was for them. Maybe not as an NFL prospect, but as an actual college quarterback. Is that a is it an even trade? Is it an upgrade, a slight downgrade going from Devin Leary to Brendan Armstrong for for NC State?
1: Uh, no, I think it's an upgrade for NC State because yep. Brendan Armstrong is a much better athlete so that can do things in the quarterback run game with him. And he'll be able to create and things when, when they break down and, and make some plays on his own, where Devin's more of just a, a pure get the ball out of your hand type of guy. He's not going to be running around and, and, and creating with, with his feet. But I agree with your assessment of what Devin brings to Kentucky because, you know, Will Levis had a lot of the same deficiencies that Anthony Richardson had. I mean, let's, and, but there's also one that Will Levis and Devin Leary share, and that is they're both injured a lot. So if you're Kentucky, you got to keep Devin Leary healthy.
0: Yeah. But I think it's big for Kentucky too, is going to Liam Cohen to have Cohen back. And you go back and look, yeah, you go back and like, well, he did a couple of years ago before he went back to the Rams and it was a better offense. And again, I think he's, I don't know that it's the best quarterback that Stoops has had. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but. I mean, it just feels so weird to say that about Will Levis, who a lot of the, the, the draft analysts had as a top 10 guy, ended up going early second round. So it's hard to say this is an upgraded quarterback, but I really feel like it is for them.
1: Yeah, and again, consistency, stability, health. Um, like Ryan Day says, I just love this line, make the routine plays routinely, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. That, if, if Devin Leary does that, then the offense becomes more efficient. Right, I mean, that's that's just how it works, and sometimes a guy that's not as talented as somebody else can make that happen.
0: All right, let's talk about Kate Klubnick. We mentioned him. This is Ball with Tom Luganbill of ESPN. It is presented by MyBookie.ag. Don't forget code next round when you sign up at MyBookie.ag for a sign-on bonus up to $1,000. That is MyBookie.ag, code next round. Always visit Lance'sLock.com to get the package to know what to play when you get to MyBookie.ag. Lance's been killing it in the uh, NFL preseason that will continue into the season and the college football season starting this weekend. lanceslike.com and mybookie.ag code next round. So Cade Klubnick, I mean, listen, he came in with a lot of fanfare. But mm-hmm. when you then go out and get what is was regarded as the hottest assistant coach in America as your offensive coordinator and marry those two, I mean, the expectations are quite high. I don't know that he can meet those expectations, but I do know they're quite high. It feels like Clemson fans think this is going to be back to the Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson era more than it was when DJU was the quarterback.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that's because Cade Klubnik is a much better quarterback than, than DJU. Um, now, listen, like I said with Drew Aller, and we saw this a little bit in some spot duty and a limited sample size of Cade Klubnik last year, he's going to make some mistakes. He's going to look really, really good, and then guess what? He's going to look like a freshman, which he was. Um, But it was becoming very clear that he gave you more stability and consistency than DJ did. Now, I think what you're adding is you're adding some tempo and, again, a tried-and-true scheme in, in college football that everybody has flourished in that's played in it. And without question, this is Clemson's best unit as an offensive line. They've got an all-conference player and an NF future NFL draft choice at the running back position in Will Shipley. And I think they're going to be much better at wide receiver than they've been either of the last two years. So for me, this probably couldn't be happening at a better time for Clemson because they are loaded, Ryan on defense. They are two to three deep at every position on the field with NFL caliber players. They're that good. And so if we see the expected improvement, let's just say in decision-making, um, Uh, red zone efficiency. And maybe the most important thing that's been lacking for Clemson the last two years, and that is explosive plays in the passing game. They they had all but eliminated any type of excitement and explosiveness from that passing game that had become so prevalent with Trevor Lawrence and with Deshaun Watson and even with Taj Boyd before him. And so I think they'll get back to some of that. They will push the ball downfield. They're going to operate at a faster pace. And You know, knowing where Cade Klubnick came from at the high school level, it's more of what he's accustomed to. It's more of what he's played in. Uh, So I think there's going to be a real comfort level there. And uh, this this is a, uh, you know, we always hear Dabo talk about the little old Clemson, right? He loves kind of playing that role. And now you've got all these people, you know, they're jumping on that Florida State train a little bit. And I think this is exactly where Dabo wants it, right? You guys just hang out over there in Tallahassee. That's fine. And we'll kind of just do our thing over here. (laughs) <laughs>
0: how, how, how big a departure, though, is what Garrett Riley does from what Dabo has done with Tony Elliott, Jeff Scott, and all his offensive coordinators over the years? Um, how, how you know how different is what Garrett Riley is going to want to do? Can Dabo be comfortable with that, even if it does have a little, a, a few hiccups early on?
1: Yeah, I, I think that he can and he will, and I think this was probably the most difficult coaching decision that Dabo's had to make within his staff and his tenure there. I mean, if you look at how he's operated generally, you know, outside of Brett Venables and and Chad Morris, he's developed and and bred and promoted from within. And, and it just so happens that this time around, and I don't think Brandon Streeter is a bad football coach. I just think he happened to be the one guy that they missed on a quarterback during his (laughs) tenure. Right. And so, I mean, look at, look at Tony Elliott at Virginia, not as if they lit the world on fire last year on offense. And you look at Jeff Scott down at South Florida, barely lasted three seasons. And, you know, those guys were hot commodities. Well, players trump plays. And, and, and maybe that wasn't the luxury that Brandon Streeter had. Uh, but I do think Garrett Riley has a quarterback in Cade Clubnick, and And I think Dabo knew that even though it kind of goes against what he's done during his tenure there, that it needed to be not – Drastic's not the right word, but there there just needed to be a different approach. Some fresh ideas, maybe some fresh terminology, press the reset button a little bit, um, and doing it again with a scheme that um, has been wildly successful for a lot of people for a long time.
0: Another new starter, and this in the SEC, is going to be Carson Beck, and he's replacing one of the most successful quarterbacks Georgia has had. They are also replacing offensive coordinator with Mike Bobo, a guy that is very familiar with Southeastern Conference play and Southeastern Conference defenses. Um, Carson Beck has played a lot. He just hasn't played a lot of meaningful football because Georgia had teams pretty much put away, you know, by the time he got in there. What does Carson Beck bring that Stetson Bennett did not?
1: Size. <laughs> I mean, until further notice and he, you know, those live bullets start flying by and it becomes very real and it's now your team and your locker room and your offense and you, to your point are not just getting mop up duty where you're turning around handing it off. And, you know, you're not really, you're not worried about making checks at the line and you're not, you know, worried about, you know, getting out of a bad plane into a good play. You're just worried about getting the game over with, right? Well, those <laughs> days are over now. Now it's all right. I've got to I've got to run this show, and I've got to I gotta I gotta know what everybody's doing, and I've got to make good decisions both pre and post snap. And you know, I, I think a lot of it too is, and and uh, you know, Mike Bobo, I'm sure would say this, but you try to gauge with your quarterbacks, and depending on their age and their level of experience, what are they capable of handling? Like, how much can we actually put on their plate? What I mean by that, I mean pre snap. So, for example, I had Jimbo Fisher uh, tell me one time when J- uh, third game of the year, Jameis Winston's uh, Heisman year, but he's only three games in. In the first two weeks, like, I think he had two incompletions in two weeks. I mean, he was, it was ridiculous. And I asked, you know, he, he was a redshirt freshman. I asked Jimbo, I said, you know, what, what type of autonomy does he have? And Jimbo looks at me and goes, he's got all of it. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, once that play comes from me. He's responsible for everything that happens thereafter, changing the the protection, identifying the look, which means the play might have to change. Then all of a sudden you got to you got to make a post snap uh, progression and diagnose what's happening there. It's a lot going on while that play clock's running down. Right. And so I think sometimes as a coach, you got to be careful not to overload a player, especially when they have great players around them. And then as they come along and you start to say, okay, he's getting more and more comfortable with this. Maybe we can spoon feed him a little more here or he's getting more comfortable with this, or, or maybe, Hey, you know what? We threw a little too much out him in that. And, and uh, let, let's, let's, you know, dial that back a little bit. But I also think what's really important as a coach is find out what that player is really comfortable with. When you're sitting there going through that game plan and you're preparing for the opponent and you're in that meeting room and you're working over some plays on the sheet, or you've got them diagrammed on the, on the board or what have you. And you kind of see a look or a body language out of the quarterback. That's the question. What, what's up, man? I like it. No good. Yeah. Why? Why? You know. And because if he doesn't have confidence in it, doesn't matter how you how much confidence you have in it, you don't have any eligibility left. And so, uh, and and again, the more I think, the more you develop a quarterback, and he gets older, and he gets more mature, and he and he and he and he understands more, and he's experienced then you feel ultra-confident as a play caller because you feel like you could call just about anything, and if it's not right, he's going to fix it. Whereas maybe you don't have that level of confidence. And I'm not saying that's the case with Carson Beck. I'm saying that with him being young and experienced, as with many of these quarterbacks we've talked about so far, I think that is a component to the decision that you make to bring that guy along and develop him.
0: Now, you and I will revisit what I'm about to bring up in week three, as we preview week three. But what I find interesting with him is week one, UT Martin, week two, Ball State, week three, South Carolina. There is going to be a significant increase in speed from UT Martin, Ball State, then to South Carolina. All of a sudden, it is in fast forward now for him. And now he's he's got some seat time. He's played in 11 games. But when you're that starter and the crowd's into it, and all of a sudden, these are SEC defensive backs, and mm-hmm. and South Carolina knows how to play some defense. To me, that will be a huge test for him. They should beat South Carolina, but seeing how he performs once it's in fast forward all of a sudden.
1: Well, let's not forget that it's been in fast forward against his own team since he arrived on sure. campus. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you're when you're sitting there and you have those live scrimmages and you're having those practices and you're doing one-on-ones and seven-on-sevens, you're not playing anybody during the regular season that's better than what you're playing every single day in practice. So I would hope yeah. that would lend to, you know, a less steep learning curve. But you touched on another thing that I do think is important. How do you handle the moment? How do you handle the crowd a different level of energy? There's a different level of expectation, right? Do you press? Do you, do, do you try to do too much? And in doing so, do you create a negative player? or do you turn the ball over? That, that's what they, what they have to avoid. I um, mean, it's, it's what every quarterback obviously strives to, to avoid, but sometimes you play in a higher anticipated game and there's maybe more riding on it and it's a conference game and, you know, it changes, you know, how you, you focus a little bit or maybe you're unsure. And to your point, it's moving a little bit faster. And Now, all of a sudden, you're not, you're not getting the play signal is clear and it's a lot louder. And all of a sudden, guys are having communication issues at the line of scrimmage. I mean, a, a variety of things could happen when you're inexperienced it can kind of take you out of your comfort zone
0: all right let's talk about Peyton Thorne at Auburn um I've always felt like Hugh Freeze gets the most out of his quarterbacks I mean I feel like I feel like uh Bo Wallace probably played above his ability level Chad Kelly played above his ability level um I, I felt like he got a lot out of Malik Willis at Liberty you know Malik Willis is in the NFL those other two I mentioned they're those are not NFL quarterbacks they're CFL quarterbacks and I don't think that Bo Wallace is coaching. I mean, I I feel like he gets the most out of his quarterback. Hugh Freeze does.
1: He does, and I I think the whole the whole point is make the plays that are there to be made. All right, and we're going to do some razzle dazzle. We're going to be heavy RPO. We're going to have misdirection in our run game. Um, I do feel to some degree that much like a Gus Malzahn coached offense, it's at its maximum efficiency when the quarterback can, can be a dangerous running threat versus when they're not clearly Robbie Ashford's a completely different athlete than Peyton Thorne. Is. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are wildcat packages on the goal line, right? There are some different things that come into play on second and short and third and short. And all of a sudden maybe Robbie Ashford and Peyton Thorne are on the field at the same time, the ball's getting direct snapped to, to, to Robbie Ashford. So I, I think we can expect to see some of that. And, um, it's going to be interesting because of these players that we've talked about so far, I kind of feel like Auburn's supporting cast has the most question marks, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you kind of feel like Georgia's going to have some elite guys. I mean, there there isn't another Brock Bowers in college football, right? And you look at, you know, uh, Clemson going to have some elite guys. I'm, is Auburn going to materialize into that? Is that a recruiting class or two away? Where where does that where does that come from? And how much help or lack thereof does it provide Peyton Thorne?
0: You know, I, I'm curious on Robbie Ashford, how far this goes in the coaching room. And I think I know the answer, but you've been there. Reportedly, at least. Now, these, the people that are reporting this haven't necessarily been at practice. These are secondhand reports. His best practices this fall have been since he was informed he was second team. <laughs> that, it feels like that's got to go a long way, though, in the coaching room, right? That this guy didn't take his ball and go home. That that he's had – he has responded positively to not getting the starting job.
1: That may very well be the case. And I'll tell you the other thing, and I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here. He might have the team. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. he – that guy went through an awful lot last year and took it on the chin – And I mean, just enormous levels of criticism week in and week out. And like you said, he didn't pick up his ball and go home. He didn't enter the transfer portal. He just went to work. He gets told that they're going to go with the other guy. He just gets back to work. I think what tells the coaching staff that he's got tremendous uh, mental focus, intestinal fortitude. He's mentally tough. He's highly competitive. And maybe, maybe what he sees is an opportunity. Like just because they told him he's not going to be the guy doesn't mean he's not going to be the guy.
0: Well, and I would say, as Tom Luganbill talks with us on Ball ESPN's Tom Luganbill, it is presented by mybookie.ag, code next round, to get that sign-up bonus up to $1,000. And don't forget, before you go there, visit lanceslock.com. He's been on fire in the NFL preseason. That will continue into the season and into the college season, starting with week zero. Great packages for the full season. Uh, lanceslock.com. That is lanceslock.com. And uh, win at mybookie.ag, code next round. Sign-up bonus with that code, up to $1,000. You know, in Tuscaloosa, it's a little bit of a different story. Like Jalen Milrow, next guy up, right? I mean, he's the backup. When Bryce Young got hurt against Arkansas and couldn't go against Texas A&M, that's the guy they turned to. Um, you know, he, he probably saved the game in Arkansas with a big, long yeah. run he busted. Uh, A&M was not his best start. He he turned the ball over a little bit. But th- here's another guy that realized he had to fight for that starting job. I don't know if he'll start or not, but I think if you're, if you're Tommy Reese and you're Nick Saban and you're in that coaching room, the fact that the guy didn't get you know, he didn't get, he didn't tuck his tail because he wasn't just handed the starting job. If he went out and earned it, that too goes a long way in a coaching
1: room. Big time. And that's what I, I kind of admired about Tyler Buckner's decision to go there. He went to the one place where the coach is not handing you anything. Yeah. Right. And so listen, I, I I was thinking to myself about this quarterback competition. What if it doesn't matter what if all of them are good enough? Yeah. Doesn't mean they have to be elite. What if, what if they felt like they had to throw Dylan Lonergan in there and they thought they could get away with it? What if they felt like it was Ty sit was Ty Simpson. Okay. Well, what, what if they're all good enough and it, and it really, and it really doesn't matter. And as you mentioned earlier, when, when I was talking with Jim on Monday is, you know, when you are the best athlete, you do cause the most problems. So you're kind of willing to take the bad with the good um, because there's a level of compensation there uh, that maybe the other guys in the competition uh, don't have. But it's 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 been my experience. And I, and I think, you know, Nick Saban's never just I mean, certainly with Bryce Young, you knew Bryce Young was going to be the guy. Right. But it's not as if Nick Saban's regularly just told people you know, this is where we're at and this is our pecking order. But if you're everybody else on that schedule and he's not telling you anything and you could see any number of guys take the field, whether it's the first snap or the 10th snap, uh, that's an Alabama advantage in in my, in in my opinion. And I will say this, it's been my experience as a coach and as a player and particularly as a player, because this happened to me at Georgia tech is when you're, when you're in a, a quarterback competition, They are charting and evaluating every single thing you are doing. When I say charting and evaluating, I mean, did did you get the snap? Did you fumble the snap? Okay. Did you identify the front properly to make the check at the line of scrimmage in the run game? There's literally somebody with a, a clipboard standing back there doing this. Did you complete the pass? If so, did you complete it to the right guy? You completed the pass, but you made the wrong read. Okay, so now you got a plus there, but you got a minus there, right? Did you turn the ball over? What was your red zone efficiency? Um, did you make the right read on the RPO? And it's all being charted. It's all being documented. Because what that coaching staff wants to do is they want to make sure that everybody in that room knows that they're all getting an equal and fair chance to be the quarterback at the University of Alabama. And by documenting everything objectively, when it comes down to making that choice, they can have something to point to. Now, will there be some intangible factors? Will there be some subjective things like who has the team? You know, who has the locker room? Who's affected the huddle when they walk in? Those are, those are things that are hard to quantify on paper. But you will have, they have so much data on what every single one of those kids has done with every opportunity that, that they've had. And they do that to ensure they've provided the best opportunity and give themselves the most information to go on.
0: Yeah, Nick Saban has has always said that it's it's who wins the team. Anytime there has been a quarterback battle, now look, I, I like what you're talking about. All that stuff goes into it, but if it's equal, Nick Saban likes to try to judge, or at least he says he does, likes to try to judge who's won the locker room, who's won the team. Not that they huddle much anymore, but who's won the huddle?
1: Yeah, that's what leads me to believe that it might end up being Jalen Milrow. Yeah, I think you're right. Um. And, and I don't know, listen, what does that mean long-term for the season? I don't know. Like, I look at Jalen Milrow, and I see a potential NFL running back for safety. Yeah. But he wants to play quarterback, right? And so, and I don't know how the Alabama staff feel, feels about that. I'm sure he wants to play quarterback and would, would balk at the idea. But I think I think that's the type of talent we're talking about. And Now, can you get the consistency in the passing game, series in and series out, to, a, a, again, Avoid making the dumb decision, the bad mistake, the negative play, the turnover, the things that Nick Saban is going to blow up over.
0: Well, one more school to talk about, and they are unsettled at quarterback as well. You know, you look at Alabama, and, and listen, I live obviously here in Birmingham. There's a there's an element of panic here. A lot <laughs> of fans would like to know, you know, following Tua Tungablow and Mac Jones and Bryce Young, that you got another guy of that, caliber coming up and they just don't know that um so there, there, there's a part of the fan base that's panicked yeah. but i look at that and i say when has alabama messed this up right i mean when has alabama messed up starting quarterback under nick saban and it, it rarely if ever has happened now look there have been mistakes there was the starting of blake barnett uh, instead of of jalen hurts yeah and even even in that luke's maybe he's stuck with jalen hurts a little too long it should have gone to Tua Tungabloa. There was, yeah. the, night, there was the night against Ole Miss yeah. where they uh, – this was Lane Kiffin, by the way. It wasn't as much Nick Saban, but yep. they went away from Jake Coker and went to Cooper Bateman. They quickly go back to Coker. They won the national championship. So, they figured yeah, it out. Yeah, they figured it out. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Alabama's going to get this right. I mean, I don't, I don't think Alabama's recruited a bunch of bums here. I think they're probably going to get this right. But Ohio no State's, an, Yeah, Ohio State's another place, Lugaville. They don't get it wrong at quarterback. I mean, Ryan Day – and even going back to Urban Meyer before him, yep. by and large, they get quarterback right there.
1: They do get quarterback right there, and um, and there's been a tremendous track record. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that every, you know, Alabama fans were were complaining that the quarterback wasn't dynamic enough, right? Yeah. So, and then next thing you know, you get the dynamic guy. But at the same time, when you get the dynamic guys, the, the program's in an entirely different position than it was when those guys were playing. Right. So John Parker, uh, Greg, uh, AJ, you know, this and that. And so uh, but listen, when you start to become really good on offense, you're you're just naturally going to attract the elite players at the quarterback position to your program. And it might have taken four or five cycles for that to happen before, you know, the offense all of a sudden was like, whoa, who who are these guys? Right. And and then it just started. it, It took off.
0: Um, do you have your
1: week one assignment yet? Do you know yet? I do, but for whatever reason, the PR hasn't sent it out yet, so I'm not allowed to say what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I know, right? We're a couple of weeks away. I do not have a game this coming weekend because I had the high school matchup right. uh, last Friday. Um, and then uh, and so I'm going to take in week, some week zero stuff this weekend.
0: Okay. All right. We'll, we'll we'll try to guess it. Maybe ESPN will announce it before we talk again next week. I would like to talk oh. about your week one assignment, but we'll uh, we'll hold we'll hold till ESPN announces.
1: Good. Uh, Thank all you. right.
0: Yes, he is Tom Lucabil with ESPN. He is with us uh, three times a week, but once a week right here with me on ball as we just talk football. Lance talks to him about a lot of stuff on and Lugs live uh, starting week one. Every single or right after week zero, uh, uh, the Monday of week one, Monday morning live with Dunaway, and you can get that at seven o'clock Central Time as they look back uh, at the previous week, obviously this first week, looking ahead to some of the uh, week one games and looking back to week zero. Uh, His appearance is presented by mybookie.ag. Don't forget code next round when you go to mybookie.ag. You get that sign-on bonus up to $1,000. And always a good idea before you go to mybookie.ag is visit lanceslock.com. That is lanceslock.com. He's been killing it in the NFL preseason. That will continue into the NFL season and college football starting with week zero. You can get all the plays right there for a great value. Just go to lanceslock.com and mybookie.ag code next round. All
1: right, Luke's. we'll see you next weekend on Ball, man. Thanks for the time. You bet. See you then.